Mm. It was just always the belief mm. that there was there were like things out there there was more out there for me and that things would be better and um that's what I love about traveling is that you're just consistently surprised you're always learning you're always meeting new people and hopefully becoming like an improved and more aware version of yourself and um yeah I think it was just the belief in me that things could always be better from somewhere around the world welcome to the black women travel podcast hi my name is wanda duncan and i'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of black women who've made travel a large part of their lives welcome to the show Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us your name, where you're from, your current location, and the name of your business? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Faida Jayla. I'm from London, UK, if you can't hear by my accent. And I'm currently in London, England. And the name of my I wouldn't necessarily say a business, but my platform at this point is Freedom Is Mine, which is a YouTube channel and a digital platform where I look at black history by country. So I go, I make videos that go by country around the world and look at the history and the culture and the contribution of Afro-descendant people uh, from or in those countries. I want to talk a little bit about your first solo trip, which was to Italy and what made you choose Italy and what you learned about yourself there? Uh, well, Italy, it's, so Italy, I went when I was 16. That was the first time that I'd been abroad without parents, but it wasn't necessarily a solo trip in that I went with two friends of mine from school. My first solo, solo trip was when I was 19. And I just turned around and said to my mom, like, I, really want to go I just want to go abroad I want to go somewhere that's I want to get out of the UK and just spread my wings somewhere and see how it goes and props to my mom she was completely calm about it and she was like cool so we were thinking about where I could go and I was like well you know France is next door <laughs> so if anything goes wrong I can just come back like the next day um because obviously between France you know there's flights there's the Eurostar train so it's calm like I could just come home so France was the first place that I went by myself and I went there in total for six months um just me and my suitcase I did speak uh some French because I had studied at school but was not fluent by any means and it was the first place where I had to like find a place to live find a job set up a bank account like start everything from scratch by myself and I was there for six months so that was that was my first I would say solo solo trip what was that experience like it was a mixed bag. Like overall it was positive, but I wouldn't want to sit here and say it was all, you know, sunshine and roses because it was definitely a challenge. Um, you know, I do love Paris, but Parisians don't have a reputation for being the most friendliest of people. And uh, Nasty. They are nasty. <laughs> I got there and was just like, whoa. And I think especially, you know, as a person of color, um, I don't want to, you know, come out and say like, you know, it's a racist country or anything like that. But you do, there, I did 
that was the first time that I kind of perceived that I was seen differently perhaps um but you know we made it work I tried I had to try I had a few false starts you know looking for jobs here and there um but in the end I think the fact that I speak English and that I could speak you know good conversational French worked in my favor and I'm just quite an open person like I'm I'm not afraid to just start talking to people I don't know, like strike up a conversation. I was going to salsa classes. I was just putting myself out there and trying to build something of a social network for myself. And so in the end, it worked out really well and I had such a good time. And obviously it's a beautiful city. So there was so much to see and do. What made you stop at six months? Well, I had to go back to university because... <clears throat> I had, well, I was studying at the time and that was as much as I could take off to like do my own thing. So I went back to university and then I ended up doing a year as part of my degree in modern languages. In the UK, you have to spend a year abroad in another country. So I chose to go to Mexico for a year. You studied French and Spanish, Mm -hmm. but that was from like 2011 to 2015. Or did you go back for more? Well, I started initially in secondary school, which is high school, I guess. Um, Learning, I came to, I started learning French from when I was about 11, 12 years old. Spanish, I came to it later when I was about 16, 17. Um, And then it was when I got to university and decided I wanted to do a degree in languages that I really started to take it seriously. Um, And then obviously spending time in France and spending time in Mexico really helped me kind of like solidify my language abilities. So who put that bug, that travel bug in your life growing up? Was it your mom or dad or some other family member or friend? Uh, Great question. So my, to give the listeners some context, I'm mixed race. I'm half British, half Congolese um, from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And my dad came to the UK as an asylum seeker in 1991 Um, when he was younger than I am now. He came when he was like 25, I want to say, or 26. And I was born shortly after. Um, My mum, so my dad had kind had traveled, but not for leisure, if you see what I mean. But I had kind of from him, you know, that, you know, intercultural, cross-continental kind of experience and then my mom has in her youth she was a pretty intrepid traveler so she had gone to like Argentina and Brazil and Egypt and Morocco and all of these uh, China all of these amazing places that she'd either done by herself or you know with her sister um but this is pre-internet so this is just honestly like winging it and um so I think from both of them I kind of gained like that interest in the wider world exactly where it came from I'm not sure but I actually went to boarding school from the age of 11 to 18 which is the most British thing and I'm actually sitting here with a cup of tea in my hands fulfilling all of these British stereotypes but I think going to boarding school it sounds it sounds uh, like a disconnect but because I had to like change my room and change my roommate um, I want to say like 
every three months I had and I and I was going home like once a month just for a weekend I already had it in me of like me and my suitcase constantly on the move changing scene changing location but the one constant was me so when it came to actually going abroad I kind of just applied that experience and I was like you know maybe it's going to be a change of scene and new faces but at the end of the day it's still me and my suitcase so I think those things kind of instilled in me the travel bug it seems like there was a religious figure, I guess you could say, that resonated with you, San Martin de Porres. You said that he symbolized someone who tried to bring everyone together. Have you ever felt at odds when it, when it comes to how you identify, how you express yourself? That is a great question. So for those who don't know, San Martin de Porres is a Peruvian saint in the Catholic Church. Um, he actually was mixed race. He was the first Afro-descendant saint in Latin America. And he was born to an Afro-Panamanian enslaved woman and to a Spanish nobleman. Um, and so he, but his, his father, his Spanish father never claimed him or his sister. Um, and San Martin de Porres, being Afro-descendant in Peru uh, at that time, um, was not allowed to enter the church because he of his race. But because of his abilities, he was he had excellent healing abilities, um, and you know he was very devoted to the Catholic Church. He actually rose in the ranks above what would have been allowed to someone of his race at the time. And now is a highly revered saint in Peru. Um, so if you go to Peru, especially in November and December, and you see fit figures of a mixed race or black man, um, it's San Martin de Porres. And he, yeah, his story resonated with me for those reasons. Like he kind of came from two different worlds. And in terms of his healing practices, he never discriminated. He, he would you know, attend to patients from any race, any background, because he himself said, I'm half, you know, born from a, an African enslaved, African descent enslaved woman and from a Spanish nobleman. So to me, we're all children of God. I'm not a Catholic myself, but that kind of, that approach to life really resonated with me. And in terms of my own identity as a mixed race person, yeah, sometimes it definitely feels like oil and water um, in the sense of, I feel like as a mixed race biracial person, your identity is is continually being defined for you people put you where they feel comfortable and it's like you you know you're in my case my black side and my white side um sometimes I felt in my life like neither the white or black community fully claimed me as one of them uh, definitely not the white community um but sometimes I have felt that with the black community as well um, that maybe, you know, I'm not black enough, but I am 50-50 of both. And even in my work as, you know, with my YouTube channel and my black history education, something that comes, I get a lot of trolls. It's just part of the territory. That's fine. But something that does come up quite often is the fact that I'm biracial and, you know, that I'm trying to be black or I'm having a, an identity crisis or that I'm lost in some way. Um, and I just a long time ago kind of made peace with the fact that, it doesn't really my identity and how I identify is completely down to me. And, you know, I have inherited aspects of both cultures and, you know, ethnically both races. And that's fine. That's a beautiful thing. I can use that to my advantage, you know? So I, yeah, it has felt, it has been difficult at times. Um, but I don't, it's not something that hurts me now. Like people can't use it against me. The fact that I'm biracial. 
it's sad that I should even have to say that. Like, why would anyone do that in the first place? Because we are who we are. Um, but I'm definitely in a place where I feel comfortable in terms of who I am and my identity. And I have to say props to my mum because when I was a child, so my parents weren't really together when I was born and growing up, you know, as a mixed race person um, with a white mother, white family, white household, majority white country, because I grew up in England. Um, my mom, like my, my, my baby, like, you know, um, the baby dolls that um, kids have when they're younger, like all of my baby dolls were black. Um, my first Barbie had dreadlocks, black with dreadlocks. Um, all of my toys were either black or minority ethnic. Um, you know, she bought me like the Pocahontas doll. She bought me um, the Esmeralda doll from Notre Dame. So she definitely instilled in me from very young, like you are beautiful just the way you are. And um, yeah, so I, I'm very grateful to her for that. That is a very interesting conversation that goes around. That's interesting that you say that you have trolls based on that. So a lot of your content, all of your content, all of all of your energy and effort goes into black people and black issues. Like I, I see the 60 videos in 60 months that you've done this year for the Freedom is Mine, like you were saying, pointing out, highlighting, using your researching skills um, that you use with your documentary work or just like your media skills in general to find and highlight these Afro black people in all these different countries, India, Russia, Germany, Turkey, Yemen, Sri Lanka, China, Mexico, Iran, Colombia, Peru, Pakistan, Bolivia, Honduras, Japan, Israel, several, several more. And then also with your platform, talking about other marginalized people who are not the quote unquote status quo. You have gay, bi, lesbian, trans, queer, asexual, intersex, and pansexual. So saying all of that to say, it seems like you are focusing on those parts, if, if that makes any sense. Also, I have no idea what the Black British experience is. So this is from my American lens, where, you know, mixed race people would pass back in the day because passing came with privileges. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think as you say, like the, the black British experience is, uh, you know, very different to the, to the African-American experience. There are similarities, obviously. I think for me, like to look at me, obviously I don't pass, um, but it's interesting what you say about me focusing my energies on the kind of, you know, my African heritage and my, um, Afro-descendant side as opposed to my kind of white British side yeah that's very true like everything that I'm doing with this YouTube channel and in my educational work focuses on black history and black culture black contribution because I feel like you know my white British side has has had its moment in the sun you know that's that's all we see and it's time for um black British people and black people everywhere, like all of the countries that you've mentioned that I've done my videos on and many, many more besides, um, are, you know, they're not, they're marginalized and made invisible or the, the dominant narrative is kind of negative, you know, there's negative stereotypes, negative things that we see in the media. And there's a phrase that I love 
um, which is that until the lion tells his side of the story, the tale of the hunt will always glorify the hunter. And so in this case, like, um, you know, not to be kind of trite about it, but if my African heritage is the lion and my my uh, British heritage is the is the hunter, the hunter's had his say. <laughs> that's all we hear. And it's time for the lion to tell his story. And so that's what I'm trying to do um, with this channel and with this platform is to tell the lion's story because it's so important and so valuable. And I feel like even within the African diaspora, a lot of us don't know our own histories. Like when you tell people that there's 25,000 Afro-Turkish people or, you know, that there's a huge Afro-Bolivian or Afro-Mexican community, um, people are shocked. And it's like, they're there, you know, or like Afro-Indian community. I had no idea that the biggest black population in Southeast Asia resides in Pakistan, you know, up to a quarter of a million black people, Afro-descendant people in Pakistan. And they've been there for, you know, 500 years, 600 years. These are ancient and well-established communities. And even sometimes, um, you know, we as black and Afro-descendant people don't know, we're not connected with you know, other African diaspora communities in different countries. And so it's been a huge learning curve for me to do this channel and to collate this information, make it accessible for people. I just want it to be free and accessible for people. Um, it's been a huge learning curve for me. I've learned so much. And then I receive all of these amazing messages, which make it all worth it in spite of the trolls from other people being like, you know, I had no idea about this or I had no idea about that. And thank you for bringing it to my attention or um, people from those communities like I don't know I get messages from black people in Sri Lanka being like thank you for speaking about us like thank you for um, bringing this to people's attention so um, it's it that's really why that's why I was motivated to start the work and I think that's if I hope that in some ways explains why I kind of lean into that side of my heritage a little bit more. I want to ask you about the year of 2016 mm. so you were talking about being in a time where you were struggling to see the beauty in anything. And it sounds like you you were just having a really tough time that year. What was happening? In 2016, um, so 2016 was tough because I had, I was working as a waitress and I just got a one-way ticket to Colombia. I had enough money to buy the ticket, but not enough money to live out there. So I just bought the ticket, um, carried on with my waitressing job, and then by the time it came for my flight, I had saved enough money to go out. And that was, um, again, like one of those early solo trips where I just went to Colombia for a few months and just improvised. Like I just, you know, before I went to Colombia, I didn't even know the name of the president. Like I was not well prepared, um, which I should have been. But I arrived and met people and it went really well. And then I kind of came back to the UK and just felt at a loss. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing. I just felt like, you know, I was doing all of these minimum wage jobs and um, things weren't really going the way that I wanted. Like I knew that I had potential to do something, but I wasn't focusing my energies in the right way. Um, and then I was sexually assaulted in 2016 as well. And that kind of, I don't know, it, it just, it, it derailed me a little bit in that I wasn't really sure kind of how to come to terms with that. Um, but thankfully, you know, I had like supportive people around me and I had access to counseling services. So it was something that I was able to overcome. But um, 
yeah, 2016 was a tough year. And I seem to remember that it was a year in which uh, like loads of um, really beloved famous people passed away as well. I think that was like the year Prince passed away, David Bowie. Like it was just a tough year for everyone in general. I also saw that you mentioned something that happened in 2018. So you had traveled a bit more extensively. You went to Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, and Mexico. It seems like you spent maybe about six months exploring all three um, between 2017 and 2018. And something, you had started a relationship uh, along the way that was not the most healthy, it seems like. Yeah, that's true. So 2017, I kind of was like, I'm going to reinvent myself. So on my 25th birthday, I flew out to Puerto Rico. And that was days before Hurricane Maria hit. So I just found myself in Puerto Rico in a refuge in the middle of a Category 4 hurricane. And the experience of the hurricane was obviously very intense um and then I was there for a couple of months afterwards as well when there was no electricity um there was quite a lot of like you know disorder and chaos on the island I was so grateful to the people around me that really just like took me in and um helped me out and I was really blown away by people's generosity but all in all obviously in itself it was a traumatic experience because I'd flown out to Puerto Rico thinking that I was going to have like this amazing trip for my birthday and ended up being there for two months in the middle of a hurricane in the aftermath um and then I went to Dominican Republic 2018 and um entered into a relationship with a Dominican man who I really appreciated it for what it was but it did become a domestically violent relationship and I think um at the time I you know I wasn't really sure I was I was essentially by myself far from home um just you know on the ground improvising in Dominican Republic and so I didn't really necessarily like if I'd been in London I don't think it would have gone as to the extremes that it had had it did because I would have my friends and family around me but because I was in Dominican Republic I was I felt a little bit more kind of like on my own and I wasn't really sure how to handle things and in terms of just having you know a house like a roof over my head and somewhere to stay and um you know a security in that sense obviously doesn't justify me staying in in the relationship for as many months as I did but um yeah coming home back to London was a chance for me to kind of just reassess where I was and to um yeah make a change in kind of in myself and in my approach to 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 life moving forward and I made the decision that I would never be in that position again you also spent quite a bit of time in Peru and Bolivia and Colombia. Um, what is it about Latin America that moves you? What keeps you going back? What makes you stay for so long? I think Latin America, going to Latin America. So when I was, when I spent my year in Mexico, when I was a student and I did my year abroad, I was in uh, Mexico and I took a trip to Cuba Um in, I think it would be the equivalent of spring break. Um, so I took a trip to Cuba by myself. And this was when Cuba really did not have very much internet access and it was very expensive. <laughs> so I was kind of relying on word of mouth of the locals and um, 
the travel guides that I had. So yeah, I spent this time in Cuba and it was the first time that I was walking around. And if I didn't open my mouth to speak, people would just assume that I was Cuban, that I was a local. And I remember like I went to, um, I think I wanted to take a picture. There was a man that he had these dogs that were dressed in these little costumes and people, tourists were taking photos with the dogs. And I was like, oh, I really want to take a photo with them. Like, they're so cute. And he was like, oh, no, it's free for you because you're Cuban. Cubans don't pay. And I was like, I'm not Cuban, though. But he had just assumed that I was. And so that was the first time in my life that I had not been an ethnic minority. And I had really felt like I was just, you know, one of the people. Because I don't think when I travel to look at me, people assume that I'm British, you know. Um, so that was just such an incredible, like feeling of homecoming for me and something that, um, I think just attracts me to the region of Latin America in general. And one of the reasons why I I spend so much time there and I go back every year to different countries and travel around is that I can go to pretty much anywhere and people would assume that I'm local or assume that I'm from another Latin American country like if not from there they'll be like oh are you Dominican or are you Cuban are you Brazilian um which to me is just the highest compliment so um yeah I think it's that feeling of not not standing out and not feeling other that really attracts me to that region um do you want more people to experience this with you you started planning trips like to Cuba you did like an Afro-Cuban vegan yoga uh organized trip Afro-Latina Travels was founded by um, Dash Harris and Javier Wallace. And the reason why I came across them and and why I was so motivated to join the company, this was end of 2018, is because... um, I was at the point where I was working as a documentary researcher in London and I was taking several months of of the year off anyway to go traveling. And I was just like, I really just want to get paid to travel. So I was like, I did a little Venn diagram and wanted to combine all the things that I love, which is traveling, which is, you know, black history and African diaspora communities um, and Latin America, the region of Latin America. And I found, I came across on, on, on Google Afro Latino travel, which is an extraordinary, amazing company. Um, and was just like, I love what these guys are doing and it combines all of my passions. So I reached out to Afro Latino travel again. Yeah. This was end of 2018. And I just said, look, you know, I'm not Latina, but I speak Spanish. Um, I've traveled a lot in the region. I'm really passionate about teaching black history and I think that I could potentially bring something you know to the table and they were so generous and so welcoming in giving me the opportunity to first of all assist on their trips in Cuba and Panama and then last year uh, 2019 I curated my own trips in Peru and in Colombia Um, so yeah that's how I came to be working with Afro-Latino Travel. Have you had support in like figuring all of this out? You know, it seemed like you kind of bounced around a little professionally, like, you know, to pay the bills or what have you, while you are trying to figure out the money part to do more of what you do love doing. Um, Have you had support during that process? How has it been to try and figure that out on your own? Um. Yeah, really interesting question. I think I have bounced around a lot professionally. I think I've bounced around a lot, you know, in my personal life as well. I think I had a few years where I was 
doing, I was, you know, doing me and I was traveling and, you know, experiencing new things and having some false starts, you know, trial and error. Um, but I do feel like there was a period where I don't want to call it the wilderness years, but I feel like I wasn't necessarily making um, the wisest choices and I wasn't sticking to anything or I would kind of start things and stop them and then move on to the next thing and support. I had support, not necessarily like, um, cause me and my mom are close, but we're not close like that. So I wouldn't necessarily say like emotional support, but I always knew that if I, whenever I came back to London, like I could come back and stay in my room. Like I had a, a, a place to go. So that was, um, hugely, that was really reassuring to me. And then emotional support. Um, I had like a good, I have, I don't have a wide circle of friends, but the, the close knit friends that I have, we've known each other for a while and I know that I can very much trust them. So they were very patient <laughs> with me and that I missed, I missed birthdays. I've missed weddings. I've just been, I'm abroad. So I've been absent for a lot of things, but to have friends that no matter what we can um, speak on the phone or we'll text each other or I know that um, come what may I'll be able to reach out to them and they'll be there so I would say support in 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 those two aspects definitely. What has helped you to face the challenges that you've come across? To face the challenges I think the unwavering belief that things could be things could be better you know, whenever I felt low or lost or I was just backpacking in like the middle of Colombia or, you know, Dominican Republic and not really sure what I was doing. It was just always the belief that there was there were like things out there. There was more out there for me and that things would be better. And um, that's what I love about traveling is that you're just consistently surprised. You're always learning. You're always meeting new people. And hopefully becoming like an improved and more aware version of yourself and um yeah I think it was just the belief in me that things could always be better and then obviously this year with my YouTube channel in some ways it's been a little bit of a lonely it's had moments where it's felt a little bit lonely because I've just been doing this by myself and putting out these videos and I do get a lot of negative comments but then I think in this instance um, the thing that's kept me going through the challenges is just the belief that this information should be out there and um, that I wanted to be a part of helping to make that information accessible. So the belief in what I'm doing and what I stand for is now the thing that really keeps me going through the tough times. For people who are kind of questioning their place in the world, who are looking for that sense of belonging, who are looking for that sense of purpose, who could stand to use a bit more guidance and how to be grounded in oneself and stand firm in oneself. What kind of advice would you give them? Hmm. Um, advice for those who are feeling maybe a little lost or as if they're lacking purpose. I think if you are doing something which is of which could be of benefit to a person or a community in some way even if it's not you know of direct benefit but if there's something valuable that you're putting out into the world I think that really helps you to feel as though you're 
like you have a purpose and you're doing something worthwhile and that you're doing something that you can be proud of. I think it's perfectly fine to have false starts. I think it's fine to try something and it doesn't fully work out to try something new, to adapt, to learn, to change. I think that's part of the human experience. Um, I had to take several goes at it before I really found what um, I really, you know, got into my stride and have found something that I really enjoy and that I think is bringing something positive into the world and that may change I may decide I want to go in a different direction and that's okay too but I think as long as you're doing something where you're I don't want to say like necessarily giving back but you're putting something positive into the world whether it's like creative or financial or social whatever it is as long as you're doing something that you know is of benefit to others then you're you're doing your part to make the world a better place for lack of a I know it's such a cliched term um but that really helps you know you said that your friends have been supportive even though like you haven't had a lot of physical time together but who pours into you so if you're pulling from yourself to express these things that you have inside you to put the information that you want to see out in the world who is who is feeding you um I see so many incredible activists um scholars community leaders artists historians from the African diaspora really dedicating themselves to championing and uplifting the African diaspora and I find their work so inspirational and I've had the privilege to connect with uh, you know people in this field many of whom I greatly admire and I think that kind of definitely inspires me and motivates me um, because it can be really, really tough. It can be hard, you know, hard work. Um, so yeah, I think from, in terms of kind of like my project and the, and the educational work I do, the people that feed into me are really the people that have gone before me or who are doing this now, who have just paved the way and done, brought, done so much good. Have you been able to travel to the Democratic Republic of Congo? I've never been to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Um, so me and my dad are, at the moment, we're estranged. Um, and it's not really, because it is obviously a war zone, it's not a place that I would feel comfortable to travel by myself at this point. Um, but I think in terms for me to kind of like fully, fully connect with my African heritage, that is a trip that I must make at some point to go to the DRC um and yeah hopefully to connect with family there but if not just to experience something of the country and of the culture are you in touch with any of the family there i'm not in touch with family there but i am in touch with um other congolese family members in belgium particularly i have quite a few cousins who are my age um so yeah maybe it's a trip that we could make together at some point would you mind please sharing your self-care practices yeah, absolutely. Um, nothing. I think I should improve my self-care practices. I don't think I do enough of it. Um, but for me, it's a combination of, in terms of dealing with the trolls and the negativity, 
um, I have learned to kind of protect myself in that sense. So I used to respond to every comment and engage in these lengthy debates, you know, especially when people like insult were insulting me and saying racist things and telling me that I look like a shaved monkey and all of these things. Um, I would kind of invest energy into those people I felt in some ways like I had a responsibility to talk them off their ledge because I was like you're obviously very angry uh let's discuss and I think now my self-care practice is to kind of limit my exposure um not just to the trolls but on social media in general um so I don't I pre-program most of my social media stuff like on Instagram I just pre-program it like the month before so it just uploads and automatically goes out by itself and I don't have to be on Instagram every day I'm not checking the YouTube comments um every day I I do still engage with people but I just pick and choose you know when I do it and the other self-care practice for me sounds so simple, but just getting enough sleep. I really notice a difference in myself and in my mood um, and in my creative abilities, you know, when I've, when I've had enough sleep. But yeah, that's, those are the two main things that I would say. Um, being aware of my presence and my interaction with social media and also just making sure I'm getting enough sleep. What, what kind of comments... So you said that someone said you looked like a shaved monkey. What's the problem? Oh, yeah. I get all sorts. I get, I was told I look like a shaved monkey, that my mouth is too big for my face, um, that I should go back to Wakanda. (laughs) I get so much stuff. Like people, people, I really feel like they just try and attach themselves to anything they think will hurt you. I've had people ask me, you know, if I was born a man, it's just like playground stuff. It's playground stuff. It doesn't, I don't, it doesn't really like hit home anymore. I just feel as though I feel like with trolls and I get, I get people, um, you know, of all different races who are sometimes unhappy with my work, whether it's white people, whether it's black people, um, whether it's Asian, et cetera, et cetera, who are sometimes unhappy with um, my work. Obviously speaking about, I try to make my videos pretty neutral, I feel, and pretty balanced. But obviously in speaking about black communities around the world, I am speaking about things such as, you know, um, the transatlantic slave trade, slavery in general, colonialism, uh, racism, colorism, um, discrimination in all its forms, police brutality. And because I do, as you mentioned earlier, I, I do, I have done videos looking at LGBTQ, uh, Afro-descendant or people of color as well. So sometimes that can irk people's ire. And uh, yeah, I get some creative comments, but I just think like, I just always say to them, Wanda, I'm like, every time you watch one of my videos and you comment, on how you think I look like a shaved monkey you're actually benefiting me because by you watching my videos which you have taken time out of your day to do and to write me these comments you're improving my algorithm on YouTube which means more people get to see my work so thank you is my approach now (laughs) um ah what is her name Uh, I see her face but I cannot call her name Mm-hmm. Dang, I wish I knew. But anyway, yeah, that's totally like her approach. <laughs> yeah, it's true, though. I'm just like, I'm not spending my free time thinking about these people. They're spending their free time thinking about me and trying to cuss me out. I sleep just fine at night. So if, if they want to keep watching my videos and improving my ratings 
good for them. <laughs> I just I, I I saw like your videos, but I didn't notice. Now I want to go back and like <laughs> see what the heck people are saying. Yeah, some countries are more controversial than others. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Check out my Afro Iran video. <laughs> but it's ironically mm-hmm. also the video that I have that has the most views. Mm-hmm. So the haters are just benefiting me. <laughs> Um, do you have any practices that are grounding for you? Practices that are grounding for me. Would that be like self-care practices or in what sense? It's like if you ever feel a bit untethered, you feel like you're a bit floaty. Mm. Is there anything that centers you that brings you back to yourself? Uh, for me, I think the main two things are writing in my journal um, having like a written record of how I'm feeling at any given time or what's been going on. I think sometimes it helps me to like untangle. And um, the other thing is just purely listening to music, like whether it's music that lifts me up and makes me happy, whether it's sad songs, whatever it is. Um, those two things really help me kind of like reconnect with myself and come back into myself. And, and then for me, like I, I honestly, as I mentioned, like just having periods where I don't engage with social media. So I automate my YouTube videos to go out ahead of time. I automate my Instagram to post ahead of time. I just batch the content and automate. And that gives me me the flexibility to, to not sign in <laughs> to um social media for certain periods of time um and yeah those those things really help me just kind of reconnect with myself without any distractions do you have any particular song lyrics or perhaps a poem that speaks to you these days well it's funny because freedom is mine my platform is a song lyric it's from um Feeling Good by Nina Simone. I know she wasn't the original author of that song, but her version is arguably the most famous. And um, obviously there's a line in the song that says, um, freedom is mine and I know how I feel. And uh, those lyrics resonated with me so much that I named, <laughs> named my platform Freedom is Mine. But I think in the sense of no matter who you are, where you are, what situation you're in, And I think especially as it pertains to black history, freedom is always yours in the sense of, for me, true freedom is something that comes from within. Um, You know, you are, you are an independent person. You have a soul and a spirit that are yours regardless of anyone else or anything else. Um, And the thing that I always tell myself when I'm going through something tough is like, you had a name before this, like whether it's a breakup or whether it's something to do with work or whatever, it's like you had a name before all of this. Like, you know, I came into this world with a name and if I just say my name like a mantra, then I reconnect with myself, with my name. And I remember that freedom is mine, that I am free no matter what is going on. So yeah, freedom is mine is the lyric that that resonates with me at all times. Faida, how do you like to celebrate? Oh, how do I like to celebrate? I like to get my friends together. I like to have a a glass of rum and I like to dance some salsa. (laughs) All of my friends will tell you, like I'm always dragging my friends to like a Latin club some salsa, some bachata, some reggaeton. I just like to have a drink and dance. Honestly, that's all there is to it. With good people, good energy, good music, good vibes. That's how I love to celebrate. Do you have any hobbies or interests that aren't about money? It's so funny that you should ask that question because 
I kind of struggle. I was struggling to think of hobbies that I had outside of ones that make money because I had made the conscious decision that I wanted to be paid for the things that I most enjoy. So like even doing this YouTube channel or, you know, doing black history tours with Afro Latina travel or whatever it is, I made the conscious decision that I was like, I want people to pay me for the things I enjoy doing. Um, so hobbies, hobbies. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I do, I do kind of like doing creative things like, you know, kind of like, um, what's the word like cross stitch or making earrings or making jewelry or things like that. I do kind of like to do those things, but mostly my hobbies are now things that I'm paid for because I made the decision that that's what I wanted them to be. When you are traveling, is there a specific way you like to explore? You seem kind of history focused. Yeah, so I love to, I'll read a lot of guidebooks before I go, I'll research on the internet, um, but honestly, it's going to come as no surprise, but I'm really interested in just being wherever the Black communities are, or seeing, you know, engaging with Black communities, and learning about the history, and oftentimes that does mean going off the beaten track, like, I remember when I first went to Peru, and everyone was going to Machu Picchu, and I, everyone was going, like, north to Machu Picchu to see one of the seven wonders of the world, and I was going south, to Chinchalta and El Carmen to connect with Afro-Peruvian communities because I wanted to like try the food and see the music and the dance, like the festejo and zapateo. So to me, when I go, I do read as much as I can, um, but I will try and go to where the Black communities are. How are you able to find them in all of these different countries? Um, it's a combination of just internet research and word of mouth and I think there is a lot of information on the internet and especially with social media like people from these communities are making themselves visible like Instagram's been my best friend in terms of just following hashtag Instagram and uh, Google Translate in terms of following hashtags finding people reaching out to people um Obviously, you have to be like careful who you connect with, but it has been such an amazing tool in terms of networking. And yeah, there is a lot of stuff on the internet. It's just that it's not necessarily all accessible or it might be in a different language or so on and so forth. I have to translate the page into English. Um, and then word of mouth as well, like people saying, like on the ground, people just saying, oh, if you like this, you should really go to this place or you should connect with this person or you should visit this building, so on and so forth. Um, word of mouth on the ground is also a really valuable tool. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to share? I think that we've covered most things, but I think at this point I would just say, like, there really isn't... The only thing that kind of has set me apart recently is that I um, I would just say that I'm someone who had an idea and just ran with it and was consistent. And so for anyone else who's out there, who's kind of like maybe wondering what their purpose is or, or has an idea or a passion and wants to kind of like present it to the world, but it's not sure how to do that. I would just say like, go for it. You do by doing. And there's a, one of my favorite quotes is um, uh, start where you are use what you have and do what you can. Like with this project, I just started as a, um, you know, a YouTube channel that I was just doing by myself. I set myself the goal of doing 
um, 10 videos a month for six months, about 60 videos. And I was just picking different locations, researching black communities there. I'm not a historian, like I'm not an expert, but I'm, I have a passion for the subject. And I, and I just worked very hard to bring the information together and put it out there. And so whether it's starting a YouTube channel, whether it's starting a business, like whatever, a blog, a podcast, whatever it is, just start where you are, use what you have and do what you can and the rest will fall into place. Um, so I would just really encourage anyone who's in that position to just go for it. You do by doing, just go for it. I think that your friend Matteo in uh, San Cipriano took that advice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was a great. tool. Yeah, you said he was a great he was tour a tour guy, guy. A terrible photographer. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. So this was uh, for anyone that doesn't know, San Cipriano is a Afro-Colombian, like historically Afro-Colombian town, close to the city of Cali in Colombia. Um, and it's famous because they have brujitas, which are like, there was a railway that went through kind of the jungle and the countryside, which is where this town is situated. Um, but the, the railway, I think it dated back to colonial times. Now it's fallen into disrepair. And so the locals, in order to kind of make something of it, they created brujitas, which are like these wooden rafts and they put a motorbike on top, attach the motorbike to the wooden rafts and use it as like a shuttle. There's a shuttle system. So you just see like these, these motorcyclists going down the railway tracks with a wooden raft behind them. And whether it's tourists, whether it's locals, you know, going to see family members, transporting rice, um, uh, you know, other things, going to work. It's just this like this railway system that goes kind of through the jungle. And Mateo was a guide that when I arrived there again, I was just winging it. I just went there, arrived and there was some kids kind of like at the mouth of the town. And um, one of them came forward and was like, if you give me such and such, I'll, I'll show you around. And I was like, cool, let's 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 go. And um, yeah, Mateo was this young guide. I think he's like 12 years old. And he just turned this into his side hustle because again, he was like, you know, I live here. I know, the, I know the town. I can take you like to the, to the waterfalls and the rainforest and so on and so forth. And he just made it into his side hustle. So he was hilarious, but a terrible, terrible photographer. <laughs> you said he just managed to take one good photo that was a selfie and all the photos he took of you were blurry. <laughs> Everything of me was blurry. And then he took one pristine photo, which was just a photo of his own face. <laughs> I also wanted to congratulate you on learning how to do box braids. Um, I think a lot of women found out what they were made of during this pandemic <laughs> and not being able to take care of ourselves, you know, do our eyebrows and our own many petties and hair and such. So congratulations on another the puzzle. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's definitely been been a learning curve. <laughs> it's really cool. Well, Faida, thank you so much. I would like to ask you one last question, and that is, how can listeners support your work, please? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, well, I want to say thank you to you for you know sharing your platform with me. I'm so humbled and appreciative. And for any listeners that are interested, you can find my YouTube channel at Freedom Is Mine on YouTube. The actual handle was Freedom Is Mine Official because someone had taken Freedom Is Mine. So if you just type in Freedom Is Mine Official, you'll find all my YouTube videos which look at Black history and Black communities, you know, past and present in different countries around the world spanning I think five continents at this point 
um, in over 35 countries. I think nearly 40 countries I've done. You can also find me on Instagram. Again, Freedom is Mine Official. Um, it's the Instagram handle on Facebook, my website, www.freedomismineofficial.com. And on my website, you can find um, ebooks about looking at black history in different countries, T-shirts, celebrating African diaspora communities in different countries, things like that. Um, so definitely head over and say hello and drop me a message, get in touch. And if there's a country that I haven't yet covered that you would like to see and you would like more people to know about, um, you know, black history and culture in that country, I'm always, always, always open to suggestions. So please do get in touch. I will link those resources in the show notes for everyone to click away. Um, Thank you so much again. We really appreciate you being so open and so honest and sharing your experience with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. And yeah, I really appreciate it. All right. Well, we will see you on the internet streets. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Barum, ah, um, barum.